0: With Jesus, surrender is victory, is it not? That's the beauty of the gospel. Well, hi again, my name is George. I want to think with you a little bit this morning about freedom. Uh, so could you pull out a Bible? I'd like everyone to grab a Bible. There should be one in the rack in front of the black book. Maybe you brought one. Let's turn open to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 918. And um, this is getting close to the culmination of an argument he's making that begins in chapter uh, six, actually, and runs right through the end of chapter eight. And Paul's arguing that in Jesus Christ, there's freedom. That uh, just like the Exodus, that we were slaves in sin and death, and then Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit have uh, redeemed us and liberated us and set us free uh, for life in Christ. So l- l- if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read aloud together the first six verses of the chapter, and when we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, and to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. For St. Paul... True freedom is the capacity to do good. That's freedom, the capacity to do good. I think oftentimes we think about freedom as the ability to make any choice I choose. But Paul says it's actually something more than that. For example, I found myself running uh, through the city not long ago, and I, I came to the end of this street and turned right, and the end of that street and turned left. The end of that street, went straight. And you, if you were looking from above, you'd say, hey, George has got freedom. He's making his own independent choices. Could have gone left when he went right, et cetera. But if you were inside my head and you knew that I had seen a donut shop the day before, <laughs> and I couldn't get donuts out of my brain, and um, I was trying to find the shop before it closed, you would know I was not in any way free. I was being driven by the donut. Now, I'm not against donuts. I just want to say I'm just not free with respect to them <laughs> all the time. Or uh, take a piano. You know I'm free to sit down at that piano bench and play any key I want in any order that I want to play it, right? But I don't play the piano, and I'm, I love you too much to inflict that on you, there's a different kind of a freedom. It's the kind of freedom that Beethoven has. When Beethoven sits at the same bench, the Moonlight Sonata fills the room, and we all begin to cry. It's just like there's a beauty, and so that, that's the kind of freedom that the Apostle Paul is talking about. It's, like, it's the freedom to do good. It's the freedom to be truly able to have the capacity for beauty. See, and, that, and that's that's what he's writing about here: the freedom of a Christian. It's to do what's good. And his argument, as he moves into chapter eight, and this is liberating and, and wonderful, is that th- we have a, an external agent who gives us this capacity, and, and, and is, we refer to him as the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he says in verse two, you just read it, the law of the Spirit of life, Talk about the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul again says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, see we t- this is Trinity Sunday, by the way, and so who is the Holy Spirit but the third person of the Trinity? Father, Son, and Spirit, we talk about this. This is the Spirit of Jesus uh, who, uh, who conveys to us From Jesus, the character and the resurrection power of Christ, he the Spirit connects you to Jesus. He he binds you in union uh, to Jesus, so that everything that is ours, the brokenness, becomes His, and everything that is His, the life and power and beauty of His life as He lived it on the face of the earth, is becoming ours through the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit's the link between your faith and your action, between your beliefs and the way you live your life. He's the capacity for good. He's your freedom. Now today I want to think a little bit about what it is the Holy Spirit is trying to do. And here the Apostle Paul actually tells us, and it's a bit, I found it a bit surprising, frankly, when I read this carefully. I'd like to show you, maybe you won't be surprised, but if you look at the logic, and it's kind of hard to see because the, it's a long sentence Paul uses here. Uh, he tells us in verse 2, uh, that you're free from the law of sin because of, the, because of the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life. And then you ask, well, why? Why are we free? And he tells us verse 3 is like the word for, which is the word because. Okay, that he's going to tell us the why reason, but he's, it's a long sentence there in verse 3. And then you get to four, and you get the so that, which is, which is, again, kind of telling us the goal of something. And the reason is, in verse 4, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So The Spirit has come to set you free, why? So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. In other words, this is what the Holy Spirit wants. Wants us to fulfill the just requirement of the law. Now, what does that mean, just requirement of the law? Actually, Paul uses one word there for just requirement, and um, it's translated Justice. When you look at uh, the Old Testament, you see this word used lots of places. But for example, in uh, in, in Samuel, First Samuel chapter eight verse three, it's translated justice because here we're learning that Samuel has these sons and they're taking bribes and they have perverted justice, and that's the very same word Paul uses here, uh, and. And, and that's kind of a negative use of the word, but there's a positive use of the word coming later at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. You can look at it if you want. Chapter 15, verse four, we have John getting his vision and he, he, he reports to us what he calls uh, the song of the lamb. These angels in heaven are singing the song of the lamb. Of course, Jesus is the lamb, uh, but listen how they celebrate Jesus. This is uh, chapter 15, verse three and following. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your, and here's the word, judgments have been revealed. Seeing it at the end of, the to- of time, there'll be the song that God's judgments will be revealed in Jesus Christ. And that word judgments is the same word that Paul is using back here in uh, verse 4 of Romans 8. And I'm sure it would be translated justice if it were singular, but it's actually plural here. So, The the point is, this word, what does it mean? Judgments or justice? It means what is right. Justice is when the world looks the way it's supposed to look because of the intent of the creator. When the world is the way it's supposed to be, when it's right. That's what, that's what justice is. It, when it reflects the character of the one who made it and the intent of the one who made it, God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. That's uh, justice as a reality. The world as it's meant to be. By the way, when you think about how do we do justice, because a, there's a sort of verbal form of this in the Bible as well, I love what Bruce Walke has taught us. Uh, he says that righteousness or justice is disadvantaging yourself so that you can advantage somebody else. It's really practical for me, and um, I, so the image that comes to my mind is what happens when a car is merging in on the freeway and you're in that right-hand lane. You have a couple of options, right? You've got what I like to do, which is speed up so you, know, you don't get in their way and they fall in behind you. Or you could disadvantage yourself for the advantage of somebody else and let them, and let them move in. That's an act of justice, according to the Bible but it requires some humility uh, to be a servant like Jesus on our part. Well, what I'd like you to see, and I'm gonna take a couple minutes on this today because I want you to really understand this, that justice is one of the great themes of the book of Romans. And we're trying to read Romans in its context. And oftentimes we look at Romans and we think of it as just this sort of manual for salvation, the Roman road, you know, how we pluck some souls out of uh, you know, a burning cosmos just before it all crashes and burns and, and, and hopefully save them in heaven. And that's not the way to read Romans. That's not the way it was written. Uh, justice is the theme of the book. The word that we saw in verse 4, the, that right word, It shows up, variations of it show up 77 times. I just, 77 times in in this book. It's actually one out of every 100 words in the epistle to the Romans. Now, you don't know that because we read in English and it's translated in a ton of different ways. But when you're reading it in the language that Paul wrote in in Greek, you're going, oh, my gosh, enough already about this. So, but it's translated words like justice, justification, judgment, right, fair, righteous, righteousness, just. All these are the same root. So You can see now, you know, this is what Paul's writing about. Jesus is the justice of God he's this man of reconciliation who's making the world the way it is supposed to be and he's making us the way we're supposed to be inside of that world well connected to him well connected to one another well connected to the creation this is his work this is what Paul's writing about you can kind of see if you look at the story arc of the letter. Maybe you'll read it on your own this summer if you're not already. You know the, the the basic problem is that man has turned away. Humanity has turned away from its creator. We're disconnected. That's chapter one, and then two and three. You know it's the religious people and the non-religious people. We're all just disre- we're all disconnected from God actually. And then we get to four and five, and God, the Son of God, has become the man of reconciliation. He's taken on human flesh. He's lived and died on our behalf. And then you start to get the slavery section five six seven three. The Holy Spirit has come. And then uh, we'll talk next week about Uh, 9 through 11, then at 12 to 16, the whole rest of the letter is about how you live as communities of reconciliation, how you live as the the house churches, to which he's writing There are about five house churches that are named at the end of the letter. And so he gets very practical. So we're gonna do a second series, by the way, starting in August. We're gonna come back to this Romans letter and we're gonna talk about houses of justice. How does this become practical for us? So uh, we'll we'll learn more about that. But I just want you to see here that this is a, a great theme in Romans. One other instance of this is this New Testament scholar named Michael Gorman who retranslates verses 16 and 18 of, you know, the whole, like, the beginning of Romans where, where his theme, state, Paul states the theme of the letter. If you, if you, kind of a wooden translation, but you represent the justice language, here's how it would actually come across. So he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, For in it, the saving justice of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written. The one who is just, that is part of the community of the just, will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and injustice of those who by their injustice suppress the truth. So you you just get a sense of how the language of justice and righteousness are intertwined and they're littered throughout the whole uh, letter. So much so that Michael Gorman goes on to say that the cross of Christ reveals a missional, justifying, justice-making God and creates a missional, justified, justice-making people. This begins to shape the mission of the follower of Jesus Christ around justice. So here comes the Holy Spirit. Paul says, God has an agent to do this in us, to give us freedom for this so that justice might be filled in us. You've been set free by the Spirit. Now, Rome is very proud of its justice system. It's Pax Romana. Uh, but here, Paul saying right under the nose of Nero, there's a greater justice, a greater peace that is going to overwhelm, not just the European section that, that Rome uh, uh, oversaw in North Africa, but also the whole of all of, all of the created world. In, in essence, then the church, our job today, is to sing that song of the Lamb that gets sung at the end of time, but to sing it today, to sing it right now. And I got thinking about this, and I was reminded that in the movie Casablanca, they sing, and here's a little kind of mental picture for you of this. Casablanca, some of you haven't even seen it, because it came out in 1942, it's a classic movie humphrey bolgard and there's a scene in there where some nazis gather around a piano and they and they start to take up with those keys and they're playing one of their war songs, you know. And then the camera moves around the room and we're in um, Morocco in this town called Casablanca, which is occupied by the Germans at that time. And uh, the people in the cafe are all French. And as they hear this war song, it just reminds them of the slavery that they're in, the freedom that they've lost and the darkness of the night. Their faces get longer and longer and longer until someone else from the far corner of the room starts to sing a French song at the same time. And the band, which is on the other side of the room, starts to pick it up. They start playing the song. And pretty soon, table by table, people are standing, heart, hand on heart, with tears coming down there. F- and they're singing La Marseillaise, this old French song of the old country. It's a liberation song, actually. And um, pretty, it's beautiful. And the room fills with it. And the four or five Germans just uh, are drowned out. And, and I think this is what David Brooks uh, says, means when he says, with this quote that we've been looking at, Culture changes when a small group of people find a better way to live and the rest of us copy them. So you can watch this more beautiful song moving through the room and transforming the room in the midst of of the darkness. They They don't shame the Germans. They don't throw bottles at them. They don't shout them down. They just start to sing a better song and it transforms everything. So the the song of the Lamb becomes our song to sing today. Now, out of this, I'd like to take a few minutes to share some implications, five implications, and I'll try to be quick, but I think these are important for us at UPC as we read Paul. The first, notice this, unity. There's no dichotomy between evangelism and social justice. Talking about unity. For Paul, you can't separate those two things. We oftentimes try to, we think about righteousness as though like it's about personal morality, and, and we think of justice as though it's a social reality, and the two are different, but they're not, they're a unity. There's no distinction to be made in Paul's mind. Righteousness and justice are the same. They're both what they are because they're a reflection of God's character. It's actually the same word in, in Greek. So there's no distinction between sharing the good news and living the good news. We're not called just to save souls for a future age, we're embodying that future age in the way that we live today because of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't taking some secular concept of justice and replacing Jesus with secular justice. No, this is about saying Jesus is justice. Jesus is righteousness. He's the only one who addresses the root cause of injustice in our world, which is human sin and alienation from God. So we we can't replace Jesus with anything, but we can't set justice aside as we're embraced by Jesus. That's why he's come, to set the world right. So this unity. Second, uh, credibility. I think there's a real opportunity for us, UPC, in justice. Uh, Pollsters tell us now that Generation Z, those of you who are uh, younger, uh, you value justice. And you're sick and tired of uh, people's complacency around places of brokenness in the world. And when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, engage in those places of brokenness, it gives witness to the reality of, of, of the gospel that we proclaim. It gives us credibility. I mean, actually, Generation Z has no problem with Jesus. They're turning away from the church only because they don't see that the church looks like Jesus. Right? So this is a great opportunity for us to start looking, looking like Jesus. And Paul's saying, like the Holy Spirit will actually help you do that. Right? So we, so, Credibility, uh, third, humility, it's another implication. I think we need to learn here at UPC how to talk about justice with humility with one another. I think we should talk more about justice. I, I know if your small group experience has been my, like mine, there's certain boundaries around certain topics and we just don't go there. Uh, we say we live as family here and we believe that, but I know if your family's like my family, when we get together for Thanksgiving, there are topics we definitely don't want to come up because it is not going to go well. But here it has to go well, right? If we're gonna be agents of justice, we need to talk about justice. We need to do so in a way that preserves the, the faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ, right? So, so let Jesus be the one who unifies us in this, and let's be humble about some of our differences. I think we can be, you know, one on the basic principles of justice, because the Bible speaks them very clearly. I, I think we can differ on some of the policy implementations. I mean, some from the left, some from the right. There are d- legitimate disagreements about how you would implement justice. Let's be a little bit. Humble about some of those differences, and then, therefore, allowed us to listen to one another and talk with and learn and grow and study the scriptures together. I think we'd be at a great example to the culture around us, particularly as we come into this new election of wow, the wow, they are, are they on the right? Are they on the left? The answer is no. We're all over the place. It's a mess. But you know what? But, but you know what? We're the place you can go where you can actually talk about it, right? And stay connected with one another, okay? So that's another implication humility for community. We need to practice justice together. Because uh, justice has a social dimension to it. And if we're gonna show the world the counter-cultural justice of Jesus, then followers of Jesus need to connect with other followers of Jesus to study Jesus and to embody Jesus for their neighbors. We want people to see Jesus and his justice. So we have to do that. This is why community is so important to our mission. I know some of us are Lone Ranger Christians. We love, we go out and do it on our own. But I think we're going to do more and have greater impact when we do this together in our small groups, or in the fall, you'll hear us talking about formational communities all around Puget Sound community. And then, fifth implication is simplicity. And I just want to encourage you small things make a big difference when we're talking about justice. It's so easy to get discouraged and think, well, these are big problems. What can one person do? Uh, or, uh, to think that unless I can do something big, it won't matter. Does it? Like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, or the anti-apartheid movement in the in the 80s and 90s in South Africa, those are all hugely important. But you know what? It, it, it the, the groundswell tipped the balance because of individual people making accumulation of small decisions. And this is what Paul seems to be talking about here. He uses the language of walking. He says walk. It's just an ordinary pedestrian kind of daily modality. Just walk with the Spirit. And he'll recommend very simple practices. We'll look at more depth later in chapters 12 through 16. Things like loving one another and growing in generosity and living with hospitality and being people of peace and places of conflict and neighboring well. Dallas Willard, the USC philosopher, wrote, we must accept the circumstances that we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. You see what he's getting at? Right where you are today, with, all oh, I know the tough stuff that's going on, but the, it, that's where the Holy Spirit wants to engage you in this movement of the man of Reconciliation. So simplicity is important. Unity, credibility, humility, community, simplicity. I'll step away from those implications and just say a few more things, and that is this. Brothers and sisters, our superpower is justice. If you take this text seriously, that's what Paul's saying, your superpower as a follower of Jesus Christ is justice. It's amped by the Holy Spirit of God. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, which doesn't mean you're free to do it or not do it, whatever you want. That's true on some level, but it's much better than that. He's saying, you're free to actually do justice. You're free for the good of that, for the good of the world. Now, I don't know if any of you are Warriors fans. I know we're close to Canada here, but um, I was disappointed. I was disappointed with the outcome of game six, but I was very interested in the press conference that Stephen Kerr gave before the press conference. They asked him, how do you do the impossible under pressure? I'm thinking of Justice, but of course, what they were talking about is is the previous game, Game 5, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson had hit these uh, clutch three-pointers that that won the game uh, for the Warriors, and and Kerr himself used to make these same three-pointers, and so one of the reporters stands up and says, okay, at the highest level of pressure, what does it take to be able to step in and make a shot like that? And Kerr says and this is brilliant, brace yourself, a willingness to miss. Wow. He says a willingness to miss and to take the consequences. That's what it takes to be able to take a risk. i got to be willing to, to screw it up. And I thought immediately of grace. And how the Holy Spirit wants to bring grace into a community of Christ followers that gives them the freedom to take the shot under pressure in a world that's telling you, don't do it, you you can't afford to miss, or don't do it, it doesn't matter, or don't do it, we won't applaud you for it. Take the shot. The Holy Spirit gives us this willingness to miss. And what I love about this, and we don't have time for it today, but I love in chapter seven, the Apostle Paul says, very honestly, and here's the guy we call Saint, he's, I relate to him because he says, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do. <laughs> the thing I don't want to do is the thing I keep trying to do. Is there anybody who has ever felt like, oh my gosh. We sang in the earlier service a hymn about the vilest offender <laughs> that Christ makes clean. And I'm like, Praise, that's when I'll put my hand up in worship, like I'm the vilest offender. The apostle Paul's right there beside me. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I keep trying to do good things, but I can't even do it. Well, thank God for grace. Jesus Christ, he says, Paul says here in chapter eight, verse two, has taken the consequences. God has condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ for me and for you so that for any of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. <laughs> you win the game. We already know that. So now take the shot. What do you have to lose? And, and, and the grace of, the Jesus, uh, of Jesus Christ becomes tangible in the capacity the Holy Spirit brings into our life. Paul says later in chapter 8, in verse 11, the Spirit of Him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. What could go wrong? Trust him. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. There's great freedom there. This week, each of us will have an opportunity to um, make something in the world right. It might be very small, but it will be your opportunity. You'll have a chance to disadvantage yourself in order to advantage somebody else. You might just be driving home on the freeway. For St. Paul, freedom is the capacity to do good, and it comes from a person from a person who loves you. The Holy Spirit is the person who knows the lamb in the song very immediately. And he's the person who makes the lamb's music in you. Caitlin Miller took piano lessons when she was a girl. Her parents made her practice, had a 30-minute timer on top of the piano. Uh, This became real drudgery for her over time. And she one day was quite angry and frustrated. Her mother was at wit's end. Things weren't going well. When her father came through the door and into the room, took off his coat, put it on the back of a chair and sat down next to Caitlin, this little girl at the piano bench. He put his arms around her and just massaged the keys a little bit, made some noise. He pulled from the top of the piano a different sheet of music and put it in front of her and he said, honey, would you play this one for me? And she began to play. And then he pulled another and said, thank you, for, would you play another one for me? And she played another one. She played and she played and she kept playing past 30 minutes. She actually started to enjoy playing. She played it not just because she enjoyed playing, but because with that person sitting beside her, she could play it. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a more beautiful world In your mind than we see in the news today and yet those of us who know Jesus Christ are called to faith to see not just what we see with our eyes but to see what's also true in your word and your promise and one of those promises today is that you dwell within us that we are the tabernacle today make us people of reconciliation we pray send us out in the name of Jesus And the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want any of the credit. In fact, we want Jesus himself to get all the credit and glory. In his name we pray. Amen. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org.